Good evening, church. My name is Kitumeti, and I'm from the tribe. Um, I'll be doing tonight's Bible reading. Uh, we'll be reading from Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 to 10. I'll say it again, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. And it reads thus, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. It's a joy to be uh, bringing God's word to us uh, this evening. Um, For those who are new to our church, my name is David. I'm on staff here. I'm one of the pastors here at at Christchurch Midland. And for the last three weeks, this is our fourth week, it's been my privilege to take us through this series that is titled, You Belong. Uh, And essentially at the heart of this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, essentially at the heart of this is the Christian message. I hear uh, an echo if you can please help me out there. By the way, we thank God for our musicians. Just to say that this last week, the musicians and our sound team do such an amazing work. This weekend, we had a blast of an event called Night at the Tabernacle. It was these cool kids who call themselves the tribe. Uh, The tribe is our young adult ministry. It's for those who are between the ages of uh, 23, 35 plus. Uh, If you're not considered part of the ANC Youth League, you can't join the tribe. Um, this is my last year as a member of the uh, Youth League. Um, I'm joking, I'm not part of the, uh, the Youth League. Um, so it's been, it was a joy. Um, if you hear me and my voice cracking, it's because we were shouting and singing to the Lord. But also I was shouting and singing uh, because Kaiser Chiefs was winning. Okay, I uh, understand there's a lot of haters uh, here this evening. Uh, that's also fine. Um, if you are new, also just remember that that video, um, or not remember, uh, just if, in case you're wondering what that video was about, uh, those are some of our partners uh, that we are linking with uh, financially, that we support, and Southreach is a church down in Cape Town by the beach. It is uh, just a work, that, a work that was started by um, one of our ministers, uh, and so we pray for them and we continue to partner with them. Uh, Please remember them in your prayers. We are now going to come to God's Word as we look at uh, that letter to 
uh, the Ephesians, just to recap us and refresh our minds as to what we have been dealing with. Uh, first week we saw that belonging is key to what it means to be a human being. Uh, that essential to us and essential to the Christian message is this idea that we need to belong uh, and therefore God works hard uh, throughout Scripture to bring us into a relationship with, him, with Himself. And that's if you want to understand the Christian message, it is that, uh, that you don't have to work for your belonging, that God uh, gives you your belonging. So we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, Paul celebrating that God has acted mightily uh, to bring people into his family. Both Jew and Gentile together have come into this relationship of belonging, this transformative relationship of belonging uh, into this one family uh, with Christ as the one who brings them in. So that's what we saw in week one and week two. We saw that true belonging is not something that we work hard for. It's something that we receive. It's not something that we hustle for and achieve. So that's what we saw about belonging. And then the second, or rather last week, we saw Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. For this reason, he says, since he's heard that these guys have become Christians, he prays for them. Uh, to understand three things. One is the hope that they have as part of this new family. Two is the, the, the riches that they have as part of this new family. Uh, three is uh, the power that Christians have uh, in the midst of their struggle, uh, in the midst of life's challenges. Uh, Paul would remind and end off on a powerful note uh, that you and I have power. Uh, this power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that is operating in your life right now. Uh, and so for the last three weeks, that's what we saw. We saw last week that, uh, that the life that God has called us to is possible uh, because of the power that he wants us to know that we have. Uh, so that's what we've looked at so, so far. Uh, tonight's message is that God wants you to see yourself as he sees you. God wants you to see yourself as he sees you. And we're going to look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. Um, we're going to be praying as we pray those two questions. And I asked a couple of people, one question, what is the best thing someone has ever called you? Uh, secondly, what is the worst thing that somebody has ever called you? Let's bow our heads as I lead us in prayer. Father, we Thank you for these songs that we sing, um, this prayer uh, in, from that Kosa hymn, that we would hear your word, uh, that it would transform us in our youth, uh, that it would lead us and change us. I pray for someone who came in today um, struggling with life, Lord. I pray that this, your word, would uh, begin to change them. I pray for the help of your Holy Spirit, that as we look at this text, uh, you would illumine our hearts and help us see uh, the joy um, that it is to be followers of you, to belong to you. Help us see our belonging, even as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So I must have been about five years old uh, when I came to this realization of how evil I, I just was. Um, it, was, it was at that young age. Uh, so just to give you a context and a story, uh, my grandmother uh, used to work as a domestic worker. Uh, so she worked in town. And one day she brought home a massive bag of toys. 
Uh, so very often what would happen is if the madam and the kids have uh, outgrown the toys, we would get them and we would be so excited. She came one day with this uh, bag. I don't know if you know those hard bags. It's called a no problem. Um, it, it used to have a, a, an eagle on it and it used to have the words no problem. So we were glad uh, that Jill's son, uh, Ben, had outgrown his toys uh, and we would rejoice as we received them. I don't remember a moment I was as happy uh, as I was that day uh, as we got these toys. You place through, you look at the, the different toys, and you're just excited. You want them all to, your, to yourself. Uh, and so our parents, being the good parents they are, decided to equally distribute uh, the toys among us. Um, I don't recall any of the toys I received, but the one thing I remember is that my brother's toy, well, firstly, is that my toys were tiny, and his were more glistening uh, and looked more attractive uh, than mine. Um, I still remember, entrenched in my memory, this yellow dump truck uh, that he got. It was massive. I got small uh, cars, you know, those ones that look like Hot Wheels, and I was like, this, my life sucks, I need some of that. And so I continued, I proceeded to politely ask them, uh, like any kid, five-year-old would do, to kindly share with me uh, his toy. Obviously, I didn't want to share. I wanted it for myself. Uh, to which he replied, no, this is mine, uh, the favorite word that kids use, mine, uh, and I'm going to play with it. And it is in this moment that my rage uh, began to fume, that my jealousy was stirred up in me, and I wanted to take matters into my own hands, or rather, the stone into my own hands. And so I took up the stone and thought to myself, if I cannot have this yellow dump truck, why should he? Um, I still remember that moment. Uh, as I took up the, the stone, it's as if everything went into slow motion. I could hear the adults saying to me, hey, motivated, what are you? And at that moment, it was too late uh, because I had made a beeline to the toy and smashed it into pieces. Uh, and it wasn't just the toy that was smashed into pieces. It was the joy out of my brother uh, and seeing him being shattered into pieces as he saw his beautiful toy being uh, broken down. Uh, the scariest thing for me about this moment wasn't so much that I did that. I think <laughs> any kid uh, would go as far as to do that. But every now and again, when I think back at that moment, um, I think to myself that the scariest thing is the satisfaction I felt from crushing his dreams. I just felt so happy that I destroyed this man's truck. I don't know what it is, uh, but it made me feel so satisfied uh, that because he couldn't, I couldn't have that toy, um, I destroyed it. And I was controlled by jealousy and, and, and greed um, to, or not greed, but coveting to want this man's toy. It is a scary thing, isn't it? Uh, that at such a young age, uh, there's so, so much instilled in us, uh, so much brokenness instilled in us. And it is on that very same day that my grandmother made a declaration, made a deep theological assessment of my spiritual condition. He said to me, waiting one now. Uh, and very often, I must say, when grandparents, when you behave well, they seem to use uh, belonging language, right? Like, my grandchild, 
you're such an adorable child. But any time that you do something that is wrong, guess what they do? They use distance in language. They uh, were child did this thing. They uh, were being my mother. Um, she made a statement and she labeled me Satan. <laughs> Have you ever been called that? Satan. Uh, this is the fact that you are the very incarnation of evil itself, wrapped up in a five-year-old body, Satan. Uh, she gave me that label, and I think in many ways it was a label that represented who I was and my behavior uh, at that stage. Um, it comes as uh, no surprise that Paul would use a similar language as he describes our condition before our relationship with God. Uh, so across this uh, chapter, this verse rather, uh, this passage, uh, you see that there's a contrast between our state before we were Christians and then our state when we become Christians. And Paul uses words like this to describe the nature of someone outside of a relationship with God. He says, we were by nature children of wrath. Uh, he goes on to say uh, that Satan's power was at work in us in the same way that it is at work in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience, according to Paul? Well, it is any of us uh, that do not have a relationship with God. Uh, and so Paul begins to label us uh, outside of a relationship with God and in a relationship with God. And the reason for those labels are to help us and to encourage us as we want to understand what it means to live the Christian life. Uh, our passage is filled with many labels, labels of the before and after, uh, labels like Satan uh, to describe our very crookedness and twistedness, uh, the very uh, sin that would define us. Uh, somebody, as I was preaching a couple of weeks ago, uh, he's not here, so I can say that. Uh, he came uh, after the service and said to me, I don't like the way you use the word brokenness uh, to refer to us, uh, because it seems to suggest that there's nothing we can do uh, to change our situation. Um, and the reason why we use the word brokenness, just to ease you uh, and to help you understand, is the fact that you and I, it seems like there's something or rather a screw that is loose in us, isn't it? Uh, consider me as a five-year-old that I would go to an extent of doing that and finding the satisfaction to do that. Consider as you observe people around you, consider as you observe your own life, uh, that there is something within us that is not perfect, that is not as, it's, as it is meant uh, to be. So that label uh, defines our condition, uh, but the reason why we want to define our condition is because we want to see the mighty act of God in our lives uh, and in uh, our salvation, our journey of salvation. Uh, so we're going to see a couple of labels here uh, that Paul uses to describe us, uh, that Paul uses to describe Christians before they're Christian and then when they become Christians. Labels are powerful, aren't they? <laughs> labels define things. Uh, the very first time I moved to Johannesburg, I stayed in a, a commune, uh, and we lived and roamed freely. We would buy from ShopRite down at Triumph. Uh, we would buy some groceries. And because we lived in a commune, what you do with your groceries, what do you do when you put them on the fridge? 
you label them. Um, label uh, defines who, it defines something. So if it says sunlight, uh, liquid, washing, dishwashing liquid, it defines the purpose of that thing, isn't it? Uh, if it says David on it, it defines who this thing belongs to. Um, so it labels define the thing, they define what it is, who owns it, and also not only that, but the, the purpose. And so we see as we look at these labels, because they're going to define just who we are. And then I don't know if this is the correct English word or grammar, whose we are. Is that a correct grammar? I went to a government school, so um, possession, basically. Who do you belong to? Uh, because the label doesn't so much just describe who something, who we are, but rather whose we are. Uh, and then lastly, the purpose um, of that very same thing. So labels tend to define us. They tend to define our purpose and our owner. So if they called me Satan back then, they described who I am, uh, they described who I belong to, and then they described my role in society, <laughs> that I, I was there to create chaos. Uh, but here's the powerful thing. I think the more and more you hear that, those things can begin to shape the way you see yourself, isn't it? Uh, but God wants this evening uh, for us to see ourselves in the way that he sees us. Uh, so as we de- look at these labels, we want to see ourselves in the way that God, that God sees us, uh, in the way that God sees us. Uh, very often we carry on labels from our, our everyday, everyday lives. Uh, so I wonder if you were... If your colleagues would label you, I wonder what words they would use. If you were on campus and people would label you, what, what, what are some of the labels that they would put on you? I brought some labels here. Somebody, I asked them, what is the worst thing somebody has ever called you? And they said, a liar. Um, a liar defines who you are. It defines the fact that your very nature is about lying and your purpose is just to spread lies. You're not a trustworthy person. I wonder if you've ever been called that. Um, somebody, again, their parents labeled them. They labeled them... There's a kid here. <laughs> it's B-U-M. I'm not sure if that's an appropriate word. Um, he just said, like, your life will amount to nothing. That was the most powerful thing a mother can say to a child. It's a label that he, he carries. This one I came to learn through another one of our pastors, Reggie. Um, again, it means that immoral person over there. I wonder if perhaps you recall that. Um, as they look at you and said, you're such a loose person. Now that's a label. Um, some of us come in here with a lot of issues, a lot of addictions uh, to images on screens, a lot of addiction to numbing ourselves with all sorts of things, whether alcohol, uh, and so we bear this label, addict. Uh, a lot of us step into relationships where we long for obedience, um, not obedience, belonging, we long for people to love us. Um, we are broken and come from broken circumstances. And then they label us. 
needy. Some of us, perhaps we've gone into one or two relationships that haven't gone all too well, and maybe they look at you and they call you this, a player. Perhaps that's the kind of label that you, uh, that you bear. What about this one? Maybe in your workspace, if there's your colleagues uh, who call you, just when they look at you and they examine who you are, they call you bitter. Such a bitter person. Uh, they don't know your struggles. They don't know the things that you've been through. They don't know what has shaped you uh, to be the person that you are. But they've labeled you uh, bitter. And here's the thing about labels. They trap us, isn't it? Because once you've been defined as an addict, you can never come out of that addiction according to that label because that's who you are going to be uh, forever. What about this? Maybe that's you. Uh, maybe they say that you, you, you are less of a person because you don't step up and make the right decisions. Perhaps, and I think this is mostly guys, isn't it, uh, that we tend to be called this label. Why don't you just step up, man? Be a man. How many of you have ever had that? On and on the list goes. The worst thing somebody has ever called me is this. Angry black guy. Angry black guy. They didn't say it to my face. I would have displayed my... <laughs> my anger, my Satan would have come out and engaged them. Um, back home, those churches that wear uniforms, they're not allowed to do anything funny when they're wearing uniform. And some of them would say, you're making me so angry, I'll take out my uniform uh, and show you just who I am. Um, some people wear this label, and I've engaged with them, and they just feel like life is not going their way. Uh, things are not going right with them. Perhaps if they went to that specific church where they used to belong, then this label will be removed from them. It's label of being cursed. I think God has some kind of curse on my life. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I don't know if you've ever felt like you wake up at night battling demons and you just feel like you are cursed. You don't know what it is. Uh, your prophet back home told you that it's a generational curse. Uh, that's perhaps the label that you wear of being cursed. What about this one? Perhaps you are numbing the pain of your life with booze, night in, night out. And this is the label that you, as you look at yourself, have began to embrace. We're going to see other labels as we look at Paul's uh, judgment, or rather God's judgment, uh, upon our lives. Because what, we, what are we looking at this evening? These labels that we bear seem to define the way we see ourselves. But what does God want of us? He wants us to see ourselves the way he sees us. And so the question that we should ask ourselves is, from this passage, how does God see us? How does God see us in this passage, well, two things I know about people, or two things that he says, rather, is that we are dead, and we're going to explain what that means, and then we are made alive. Okay, so we are dead, so that's the label that we bear, and then we are made alive. Uh, that's another label that we, we bear. We were dead, rather, 
Uh, if you are a Christian, if you've come to a relationship with, with God, this is how Paul would define you. Um, and we're going to look at that first side of things, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Have a look at verse 1, if you're still with me. Are you still in your Bibles? Have a look at verse 1. And you, that is the Christians, after he's displayed, after he's told them of the power that they have as they belong in the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. How does he define them? Who are they? they dead men walking. Uh, they walking in death. Uh, it is a label that they would normally put on your toe in a morgue fridge, uh, that you're dead. Uh, but this kind of death is not in a morgue mortuary. It is a dead man walking. It is a zombie-like um, situation. And this is how Paul describes the nature of life outside of a relationship uh, with God. Um, that is how he described a Christian, and he reminds you, Christian, before he became a Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, what, is, what does it mean to be dead? The simple answer is that you're spiritually dead. Obviously, we are alive here. It is spiritual death. But what does spiritual death even mean? Let's have a look at, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 15. Uh, it gives us a glimpse into... Uh, what the Bible speaks about when it talks about death. Uh, Luke chapter 15, this is one of the most powerful stories of belonging. Uh, this is the story that Jesus told as they looked at him and asked him the question, why do you keep hanging out with people who are broken and battered? Why do you keep on hanging out with the drunkards, the liars, the bitter ones, the addicts? Why is it that you hang out with sinners? These are the religious guys who thought that they belong who asked him this question. And so he goes on to tell three stories. One of a lost sheep, that there was this guy who had sheep, and he went out. He had 99. He had 100. One of them went missing. He left the 99 and went out to look for others and brought it back into a place of belonging. He then goes on to tell another story of a lost coin, uh, that this man had money. He lost the coin, and then he left the ones uh, that he had to go look for this one coin. And then the story that Jesus goes on to say, the third story of belonging, of a God who searches for people who are outside of a relationship with himself, is the story of the prodigal son. A famous story of a guy who goes and squanders his wealth uh, and lives a very loose life. But here's the trick to understanding what spiritual death means. Have a look at chapter 15. Verse 21, as this son chooses to go back to his father, he says, the son, verse, Luke says to us that the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What is the language of sonship? It is the language of belonging. Now notice what the Bible goes on to say, what this father goes on to say, and the declaration that he makes on this son who had, went, who had gone to squander his wealth. This is what the father says. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best rope and put it on him. This is the sign of belonging. That the father is bringing this son back into the family. Put a ring 
on his finger and sandals on his feet. This is the guy who squandered all the wealth of the family and is receiving the very rights of a son. And notice what he goes on to say, bring the fattened calf, let's have a party and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Invite the black coffee, it's in the Greek, um, to celebrate. Verse 24, for this son of mine, what does he say? Was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Uh, so they began to celebrate. Now there's many ways to describe spiritual death. But I think at the heart of spiritual death is the opposite of our title this evening that you don't belong. Um, have you ever been or done something and the family gathers together and say, you are dead to us. You don't belong anymore. This idea of spiritual death is the idea of being outside of a relationship with the Father. It is the idea of being cast out into the world. It is the idea of not belonging. That is essentially what spiritual death is. That is essentially what we see in chapter 3 of Genesis, which is the Christian story, but it's also Israel's story. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that these people belong with God at the center of it all, and what do they do? They sin, and what does God do? He says that they you eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden, you will die. Do they die afterwards? Yes, they do. What kind of death do we see in Genesis chapter 3? It is an alienation from God. And throughout Genesis, we see people moving further and further away from the presence of God. And that story is an echo of another story of a people who belong to God, the Israelites, who sinned. And the Old Testament prophets speak of this sin, uh, of the banishing of God's people into exile as death. Now, what is the point that we're trying to make? Uh, that at the heart of it, at the core of what it means to be dead is the fact that we don't belong to God. Um, to be alive means uh, to be under the protection of God, to be in a relationship, a life-given relationship with the Father. Uh, and so from our story, we see that. Uh, we see the story of mankind that apart from a relationship with God, we are dead in our trespasses. Who, who do we belong to? That's who we are. Who do we belong to in our death state? Uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says that you belong to somebody. It is not as though just because you don't belong to God, you are there uh, running wild and free. Very often as humans, that's what we think, isn't it? That we can be free from God, and belong to ourselves. I just want to do my thing. I just want to live my life. Well, Paul reminds these Christians that they were following someone. Who is this person that they're following? They're following the course of this world. You're following the world. Following the prince of the power of the year, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is that spirit, Christian? Satan. Um, Bob Dylan said this. Bob Dylan is uh, from... Uh, the old ages, from Uncle Martin's era, he said that we all got to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a salon. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe someone's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. 
yes, you got to have to save somebody. And here's the question for you this evening, is who do you save? Who do you save? We all got to save somebody. And it seems like Paul says that if you are not in a relationship with God, you're following this prince, Satan. Um, it is a strong statement, isn't it? It is offensive. If I invited my friend to church, I would want to skip over this verse because it seems to suggest that outside of a relationship with God, we devil worship us. I'm like, what? In high school, we had, can somebody please get me water? In high school, we had this, um, this uh, obsession. I was in a very charismatic, spiritual church. Uh, so we used to be afraid of devil worshippers. And there was an era in Rustenberg where they believed that devil worshippers came to disrupt their service. And if they would walk by the keyboard, the keyboard would play uh, different notes. We, have, we had all sorts of theories on devil worshippers. Uh, but one of the things that we see here in the scriptures is that in our dead state, uh, we seem to be, as we don't belong to God, belonging to somebody else, following a different cause, following somebody else. Uh, so who are we? We are dead. Whose are we? Well, if we are not in a relationship with God, um, the reality is we uh, belong to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in our world. Now, the third question is, in our dead state, what is our purpose? Because labels describe, define things, who, what things are, and they describe who things belong to, and they describe the purpose of these things. Have a look at verse 3, as he, Paul defines the purpose of somebody outside of a relationship with God, among whom, this is the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Uh, Paul says in our dead state, in our following of this prince of the air, we love our passion, the passions of our flesh. We obey them. We all got to serve somebody. We serve our desires. We serve uh, our desires and our passions, uh, the desires of the flesh. If we had time, I would uh, preach another sermon called Nama. Um, it is called flesh uh, because flesh is powerful, isn't it? Uh, flesh sometimes has us by the collar. Flesh sometimes convinces us that we are free. Flesh sometimes convinces us that we are in control of our lives. Uh, flesh sometimes uh, convinces us that we are just doing what we're doing. Uh, meanwhile, Paul would remind us uh, that somebody else is at work and somebody else is um, at the center of our, of our desires. Uh, we are obedient. We serve the passions of our flesh and we carry out the desires of our body and our minds. That is a relationship that we have uh, outside of a relationship with God. That is the label that we, we bear. Uh, I still remember just a few years ago, uh, I was part of this university ministry. I was part of this Christian community, and we kept each other accountable, uh, especially when it came to ladies. Um, you wouldn't just approach somebody if your brothers didn't know. Um, you wouldn't just approach somebody if they didn't give you the approval that that person was the right person. There was something of a beauty in, in that. 
And I still remember these words of rebellion. Whenever somebody wanted to go rogue and do what the community didn't want, they would say, we would ask them, what are you doing, bruh? We saw you with that girl. What are you guys doing? And they would say, bruh, I'm doing what I'm doing. It was a sign of, uh, uh, of defiance that just leave me alone. I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm following my, the persons of my desire. They knew that pursuing that person was wrong, but they were doing what they were doing. Uh, they were following the desires of uh, the flesh. <coughs> so that's the first thing that we see, the label that we bear, the label of being dead, and that is who we are when we're dead, uh, that is whose we are when we're dead, that is our purpose when we're dead. But have a look at verse 4. What are the first two words? But God. Uh, somebody say, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. This is how they've defined you, but God is about to redefine you. God wants you to see yourself as he sees you, that outside of him you don't belong. But God, but God being rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Who are you inside of a relationship with God? Paul is reminding these Christians, yes, you may battle with all sorts of these things. You may battle with addiction, being needy, being angry, all of those things, but that is not who you are right now. God has acted, and he has called you something else. God says that he loves us, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us. So how do you describe yourself, Christian? Paul wants you to remember that these things are not what describe you. All of these labels are not what describes you. There's somebody else, something else that is now beginning to describe you as a new creature in a relationship with God. God has acted in the Lord Jesus, as we saw in chapter 1, as he brought, as he died on the cross, to deal with our sin, all of the bitterness, all of the neediness, all of the anger, he dealt with it in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he displayed his love and his mercy towards us to bring us into a relationship with God. Now this is who we are. We are loved. We belong. Somebody say, I belong. Not only do I belong, I'm, I'm a son. I'm a son. How many of you long to hear those words? I'm so proud of you, son. Especially from your dad. Amen. This is what God would say of you. If you become a Christian, if you are a female, please don't feel left out. Not only are you a son, we're all sons. You can also, yeah, you are a daughter as well. How many of you long to hear, I'm so proud of you, my daughter. Many of us do. Many of us do. Amen. Somebody raised their hand. Many of us do because we long to belong. But guess what? The creator of the universe, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, looks at you, looks at me and says, you are loved. You are loved. Amen. That is what would begin to describe you. God being rich in mercy, displayed his love towards us. When we had it all sorted out, when we dealt with our addiction, no. Have a look at verse 5. Even when we were Dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So not, we don't, we're not outcast anymore. 
as the prodigal son, as the father stretches his hands to this guy who has done everything to defy the family. He says, you belong. My son was dead, but he is now alive. We are alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And what did he do? God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the label that you now bear, that you are a son and daughter. You belong. You are loved. You belong to this family. In this family, you can be a partaker. You are a co-heir with Christ. And notice how Paul uses the language of being not only raised with Christ, not only being made alive with him, but also that you are, we were raised with him, that we were seated with him, in the heavenly realms. Now again, <laughs> what does that even mean? What does it mean to be seated with Christ? It is the idea of belonging, not just as a son, but as someone who rules. Okay, where is Christ right now? He rules. He's seated in a place of authority over this universe. And sometimes the reality that we face, sometimes the reality is that it feels like this world is dominating us, isn't it? It feels like our sin is dominating us, isn't it? But Paul wants these Christians to remember not only who they are, but who they belong to. You are a son of a king, and you're not only a son, but you are in a place of authority. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That should give you a perspective as you go on into the traffic on Monday, and as you just grapple with sin. Amen? When your inner Satan comes out and you want to destroy somebody, you remember that you are not Satan anymore. Who are you? You are loved. You are a son. You belong. And so if you belong, what is your purpose? Paul would say, have a look at verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. God brought you into his family so that in the coming age he might just show just how great he is uh, in the heavenly realms the immeasurable riches of his grace. That when we look at God, we would say, like Paul said in chapter 1, blessed be God because he is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy to somebody just like me. Rich in mercy this coming week on Thursday when I blow it. Amen. That when you blow it, you are no less of a son than when you don't blow it. This is the reality that Paul wants as Christians to delve deep in, to be reassured of who they are and to what purpose they have been called to. They've been called to display the kindness and the glory of who God is, the grace that he has towards us. That when people look at you, they would not say, wow, such a great child. But they would say, wow, such a great God who would rescue somebody like this. Amen. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Imagine if it was of your own doing. Where would you be? This is a gift of God. Not as a, as a result of works, and that is the Christian story, that your belonging has nothing to do with what you work for. It has nothing to do with your performance so that no one may boast. It means in a Christian community like this, no one should say, yo, did you see so-and-so? As if they are worse off a sinner than I am. Amen. 
because your salvation, my salvation, has nothing to do with us. Their salvation, as they struggle with whatever they struggle with, maybe it's public, but yours is private. But both of you belong to the Father. Both of you are loved, that no one may boast. And then he goes on to describe our purpose again. So 1 in verse 7, so that when people look at us, they will say, wow, what a merciful God. Verse 8, that they will see that we were saved um, and it was a gift of God, um, that we shouldn't boast but give glory to God. Verse 10, he says that our purpose... This is who we are, for we are his workmanship. Do you feel like that? <laughs> that if God were to create the most amazing artifact, you would be at the, at the museum in 44 Stanley, they put you there and say, look at, look at this, this is God's workmanship. Do you believe that? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. What are we made for? What is our purpose to, for good works? Okay, so you are not saved by your good works. You are saved for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God not only wants to show off his glory, but he wants to remind us that we are his workmanship. Why does he want to do all of that? Again, we remember that he's going to call us to do certain things. And it's going to feel like, man, how, I don't think I can do that. I, I don't think I can live the Christian life. Uh, he's going to call us to step into communities like life groups. He's going to call us to come there willing to hear his voice, willing to hear rebuke, willing to hear and listen to other Christians speaking life into us. And he wants us to know that we belong because when those Christians speak life to us, it will feel like they're saying that we don't belong. He says that because sometimes we're going to walk in here and feel like, yo, if I had done better this week, maybe I would feel like I belong. But he wants you to, to remind you that you shouldn't, you must not step away from community because you feel like you are unworthy of community. Because guess what? It is not your community that begins to define who you are, but it is God who defines who you are. And he wants you to see yourself as he sees you as someone who's loved, as someone who has been saved, as someone who's brought into a relationship uh, with the Father. Now, just have, as we end off, uh, this um, list, it's, it's from um, online, and this is uh, a, a nice study that they did uh, from this other church uh, that kind of judges for us, or gives us a diagnostic uh, tool to help us think about moments when we don't live or see ourselves the way God sees us. And as I read this and contrast these two worlds, one world is thinking yourself as an orphan, the other way of seeing yourself is as a child of God. Okay, So as I read those two things, you might find that you fall in either category. Now, the thing that you and I are not supposed to do is walk out of those doors and say, sure, i got to feel more like a child of God, okay? It doesn't work like that. Uh, we have to pray, like Paul prayed in chapter 1, to say, God, I don't feel like your child, and clearly the, diagnos the diagnosis is right. Help me believe this gospel truth. Help me massage it this week in my life. 
Uh, so this study, this uh, inventory, says um, very often orphans live their lives on a succeed-fail basis. They need to look good and be right. It is being an orphan is performance-orientated. Being a child of God is learning to live daily in daily conscious partnership with God. It is not fearful. And often feels condemned, guilty, and unworthy before God and others. A child feels loved, forgiven, totally accepted because of Christ's merit really clothed you. So when God looks at you, he sees Christ's merit. May you pray this week that God will apply the truth in your life. That you'd feel less like you are unworthy. Uh, they often labors under the sense of unlimited obligation. They try too hard to please, and that is what we do when you don't feel like we belong. We try to please other people so that we can experience this sense of belonging. And guess where that leads? It leads to burnout, because you cannot say no to people. What does a child experience? Prayer is the first resort. I'm going to ask my daddy first. You cry out, Abba, Father. The other interesting one that I, <laughs> I quite like, and you should sense this in human conversations, when somebody confronts you with something, how you respond to that very often displays where your heart is. Um, the often, very often, is defensive. They can't wait to listen, uh, and they try to prove their point and to try to justify themselves. The child, on the other hand, is open to criticism. Since you consciously stand in Christ's perfection, may God help us to move into relationships like that. Do you see how when we realize that we belong to God, it transforms the way we engage with each other? That is the gospel message. God restoring our relationship with himself so that our relationship with each other can be restored and often needs to be right, safe, secure, unwilling to fail, unwilling to tolerate criticism, can only handle praise. But here's a child. He's able to take risks and even fail since righteousness, their righteousness is in Christ. There's no record to boast in, protect, or defend. On and on it goes. My favorite one, second to defense, and I've said this before, is gossip. Why do we gossip? And often gossips, confesses other people's sins. We need to pray for black, Bazalwani. <laughs> That's how Christian gossip begins. Hey, we had our black. Hey, we need to pray for him. Why do we do that? Because we often, we don't believe in our belonging enough. We need to criticize others to feel right. Guess what happens when we do that? When you criticize others so as to justify yourself, you begin to turn the attention away from your sin. If all you do is talk about other people, guess what happens? You stop realizing the Titanic, as one person said. You, you, you point out the speck in someone's eye, you forget the, the, the log that is in your eye. And that is what sin does, isn't it? That is what not feeling like we belong does. When our relationship with God is not sorted, we are going to want to justify ourselves, one, by good deeds, or by trampling on others who we think, man, I don't think that person matches up. I'm better than that. Uh, so therefore, I am better I'm, uh, and I belong. Uh, so this 
inventory, you can come chat to me about it. I found it very helpful in massaging the gospel message to us. Uh, one of the things that I was challenged as I was reading through this is the idea of prayerlessness. Why is it that we don't pray? Well, the often says, I can do it all. <laughs> in fact, all my life I've been told that I need to pull myself by my bootstraps. I need to just trust in myself to work for my belonging. Okay, therefore I don't pray. Why? Because who needs God? But the more and more we realize that we need God in our lives to help us in our work as Christians, the more we're going to be led to pray. Again, prayer, you can hear that, oh, shucks, I don't pray. I'm such a bad Christian. You should be walking out and saying, yo, I don't pray. God, help me understand just how much I need you so that this week I may be drawn to more prayer. Amen. With that in mind, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that it exposes our hypocrisy. We thank you that it exposes our brokenness. We thank you that it exposes just many areas of our lives where we don't believe your gospel message, a message that says we are bought at the price, that we belong to you, that we are rescued and we are, our sins are forgiven. Very often we find ourselves, Lord, still struggling and wonder to ourselves whether you will chuck us out. And so I thank you for the last couple of weeks and this message that we see in Ephesians, this message of belonging, uh, this message that you have called us to be part of your family, not because of anything that we do. I pray, Father, that you would help us this week massage this message in our hearts uh, and to repent and turn away from sin because we know that sinners is not who we are anymore, that we are bored, we are loved, we are sons, we are daughters, uh, we belong to you, and we are called for a great purpose to display your glory and to display the mighty acts of your grace. I pray that you give us courage to step into this week, to minister to our colleagues and friends, not as people who have it together, not as people who are much better than those people out there, but as people who have tasted uh, that God who makes them uh, better people. So I pray that you do that in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.